So here we are. As I said, I'm very happy to be here. I'm very happy to be teaching this subject because what better thing to talk about than love? What a beautiful thing that we have this quality, this capacity in our being to love, to care, to be kind, to be gentle, to be forgiving, to be accepting, to appreciate, to take care of um, many, many different facets of love that are, that are some of the most beautiful expressions of human nature that we all have had experience of, otherwise we wouldn't be alive, and uh, that we all know and have and, and experienced and have given throughout our lives. You've all expressed in many different ways, small and large, your own capacity to love. And that's a beautiful thing, and it's a beautiful thing to to recognize and to acknowledge and celebrate that we all have this quality. We all have the capacity to love. So I feel like that's the starting point of this this day together, is to, to acknowledge the innate goodness of our own heart that has the innate ability to love. So often we, we are looking at ourselves and the world through our mind that is always looking through the lens of it's not enough, right? It's not good enough, it's not big enough, it's not juicy enough. And so we tend to have maybe a more critical scarcity point of view about our own heart and our own capacity to love. Not that there's not room for improvement, because <laughs> we could all, we all have, you know, we all have amazing potential to love. And uh, we can all grow into that through our practice, through our lives, through our relationships, through our parenting, through our service, through our work. So for me, it's really the most important quality on the spiritual path. The quality of love, the quality of metta. The metta is, is a, is, and you could say, is a, a form of love that has a more um, boundless quality that's, that's, that's equally giving to all. It's not, it's not so particular and discriminating. It's... it's um, it's less like romantic love in that we give in, in, in a more limited way to those we know and love or those we have some kind of you know, relationship with. It's, it's, a, it's a more open-hearted generosity quality. So I was just in Baja, Mexico. I lead this. I lead meditation wilderness retreats. Um, and this week, last week, we were in Baja, uh, in the Sea of Cortez, uh, and we kayak out to these islands, these very re- remote 
wild desert islands and they're staggeringly beautiful in their starkness and their harshness and their wildness. And um, to be out, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm a nature lover and I know probably many of you are nature lovers. And to be outside immersed in the elements and to be, you know, the, the, the vista was just sea and sky and to be paddling on those silky waters and we were accompanied by a lot of bottlenose dolphins, a lot. And a finback whale came and played with us for half an hour right, right next to the boats and um, the stars were unbelievable and we had phosphorescence which is a, a form of <coughs> light that comes from algae so you swim at night and it's, it's like it's a light show. <laughs> And there was, it was just, it was a tremendously joyful retreat. They're not always like that, but this one particularly was, there was just a lot of joy and appreciation and happiness just for the beauty of nature. And of course, with that joy comes love. Yeah, the, the heart opens, the mind opens in appreciation, and we can't help but fall in love with the, the, the young dolphins jumping and diving and... Um, the little hermit crabs hiding under their shells, crawling along the beach, and whatever the, the life, the sea life, the birds, the seagulls being territorial on their beaches. And um, it was such an interesting example for me to see the relationship between joy and love. That when, when we're feeling that happiness, that gladness, that connection, Part of, the, part of the important quality of love is around connection. When we're connected, it's much easier for the heart to open. And of course, in our lives, we often feel and live very disconnected in our cubicles, in our cars, in our houses, in our solitude. Um, we can easily feel disconnected. And our mind spins all these stories that makes us feel more disconnected. So my first note that I wrote, I was just thinking about this talk today, my first note that I wrote was, love is everywhere. Mm. It's not spirit rock. <laughs> it's not in your partner. It might be, but it's not just confined there. <laughs> you know, it really is available everywhere. You walk in the trees. I feel love in the trees. That's not a new age woo-woo thing. It's a visible, it's a tangible experience. You know, or we're looking at the you know looking at the baby deer and the turkeys and uh, seeing children in the street playing and in the ordinary acts of kindness that you just some makes you a cup of tea or holds a door open or lets you in line in a in a traffic jam. Or, you know, the heart is the heart innately wants to move and express itself towards connection and warmth. And of course there are many, there are many blocks and obstacles and, and disturbances to that natural inclination from our childhood and whatnot, our conditioning, which we'll look at later. But it doesn't deny the, the instinctive desire to connect with another, with life, with ourselves. 
but I tell this story sometimes. I was on a long retreat in uh, so Spirit Rock Sister Center is a place called IMS. We call it IMS, Insight Meditation Society. It's in Barry, Mass. And um, uh, in the old days, there was a lot of cockroaches in the building, in the kitchen and in the dining room. And, uh, and um, so we're on this long retreat, it's very silent, it's very slow. Everyone's walking around very slowly and mindfully and lovingly. You know, and there's all these cockroaches. Right? And you have, this, you have to take this precept not to kill, right? not to harm any living being. So, you know, cockroaches, however much you don't like them, they're a living being. You know, and of course everyone's being mindful and, and cultivating this quality of kindness. So of course the, the cockroaches are receiving all this loving kindness and matter. <laughs> Everybody's working very delicately so they don't stand on them. <laughs> So it goes, it goes everywhere. You know, it's, it's, it doesn't discriminate. When the heart is open, it doesn't discriminate. <coughs> when we're in more of an egoic mind, we have, we have our preferences. And then I like this person, but they're not getting any of my love. No way. They said something yesterday that really hurt. No way they're getting it. You know. This is a poem from <coughs> Naomi Shihab Nye called Red Brocade wonderful Palestinian poet, she writes, the Arabs used to say, when a stranger appears at your door, feed them for three days before asking who they are, where they've come from, and where they're headed. That way they'll have enough strength to answer. Or by then you'll be such good friends you don't even care. Let's go back to that. Rice, pine nuts, here, take the red brocade pillow. My child will serve water to your horse. No, I wasn't busy when you came. I wasn't preparing to be busy. That's the armor we all put on to pretend we had a purpose in life. I refuse to be claimed. Your plate is waiting. We will snip fresh mint into your tea. So that ordinary, that simple. Just that gesture of reaching out, connecting, moving. So I think for a lot of us, including myself, very much in this camp, that the challenging place for us to extend that heart of kindness is where? With ourselves. Right. So you all know the answer. <laughs> what about that? Yeah. Some may say, well, my family, actually. <laughs> That's also challenging. <laughs> but more often it's with ourselves. Maybe a few political figures, too, you know. <laughs> Watching the primaries may be challenging for some of you, or any political debate for that matter, really. Um, but yeah, it's with ourselves that we have somehow emerged into a culture that it is hard, it has become difficult to simply be kind, to be loving, to be accepting, to be welcoming of ourselves and our foibles and our stuff. And so that's where a lot of the work is in this practice, in, in the metta practice. Metta means friendliness, friendship. So translated normally as loving-kindness, so the, the practice of metta often is needed mostly towards ourselves. 
both to counteract the, the age-old antagonism or judgments that we have with ourselves. And to, to learn how to turn to ourselves with, with, um, with a kind heart, like we do with our friends, like we do with our loved ones, like we do with our animals. Like we, we know that we can do this. But it seems challenging for most people to extend that. We're so hard on ourselves, mostly, so judgmental, so critical. Pushing, driving, you know, we get mad with our body when it breaks down. We get mad with our mind because it's so crazy in meditation. So, so I'll be talking a lot about that today, how to turn towards ourselves with, with, some, with an attitude of warmth, of acceptance. And I teach this practice because it's very, very close to my heart. And I've done this practice for um, almost 30 years now. And it's a practice I started with in the early 80s. And it's transformed my own heart uh, in many, many different ways. And I, I've appreciated its, its refuge, its, um, its simplicity, um, its depth, its ability for me to connect with others, to, 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 to learn to love myself, which I didn't. I, I had a very strong critic and a lot of self-hatred when I started the practice, a lot of anger. And uh, that's really changed. It's really transformed. Maybe some of that would have transformed with aging, but not necessarily because I work with plenty of people much older than me, and that pattern has not shifted an inch. So I feel very lucky to have started at a young age, to have had to, some time to work on it. And it works in very simple ways. It, I'm always amazed how radically simple it is. It's, it's a shift in attitude, and it's, um, I put it under the category of the Buddha talked about there's many different ways to work with your mind and thought streams, and one of the ways is just to replace one thing with another. So often we may do something or someone does something, and we're immediately in a reactive, judgmental place. And if we remember the metta practice, um, you know, maybe we're driving, somebody cuts us off, and we get really afraid, or we get really angry, and then we start judging ourselves for being afraid, right? That's not a very kind attitude. We're already afraid, and then we're beating ourselves up for being afraid. <laughs> and then the meta practice can surface, and it, in, a, in a simple phrase, oh, wow, you look, you're, really, you're, really, you're, you're really upset. Oh, may you be happy. May you be. May you be at ease with this. May you be kind with this. May, may you be safe. Yeah, it's just, you're replacing that negative, hostile attitude with. Oh, I care about you. Oh, I hope you're okay in this. And it's like it's a moment, but it's a very pivotal moment of consciousness that shifts. 
oh yeah, I can hold myself with kindness. I do this a lot when I'm in traffic. You know, I'm driving around, you know, I cut things really tight when I go to an event. And so there's not wiggle room for traffic, which is really unwise, because <laughs> there's mostly traffic. <laughs> so, and I hit traffic, and oh no, traffic, I'm going to be late, and then I, why am I always late, and then yada yada. And then, oh, oh wow, may, oh, may I be peaceful. Oh, may you be pe- may you get to go where you're going on time. May you may we all get may this traffic all ease, you know. And it just softens the whole thing. Not every time. Um, but there's 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 a window, there's a door, as I said, there's a possibility of changing attitude. And then I realize, oh, I am traffic. I am the traffic that I'm annoyed with. <laughs> That is a great insight, you know. It's all out there, those people. Where are they all going? Where are they? Oh, where I'm going. <laughs> so it's possible, you know, it's possible to transform things in a moment. It's possible to transform things over time. But it would, like with anything, it's a practice. Nothing happens, you know, by itself, right? We are creatures of conditioning. So uh, by doing this practice, we're sowing seeds of, of kindness, potentiality. So I wanted to read this um, uh, a few a few sentences from from young ones, going back to this point about the innate quality of love that we all know. I mean, you'd be around, you know, hanging out with a two-month-year-old when they're not crying and hungry and pooping, you know, maybe just all the other times when they're just being, and we feel love. Right? For the most part, we feel love coming from them. We feel love in our own heart. We feel love in the connection. It's something we come in in quite a love-filled state for the most part. And young children are beautiful expressing that love. You know, and I hear that from friends or parents, and you know, just delighting in you know the kid coming onto the bed and saying, "I love you, mommy. I love you, daddy." It's such a sweet thing. So this is from um, uh, some four to eight-year-olds about love. So uh, this uh, one girl, she says, When someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You know that your name is safe in their mouth. Beautiful. Love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if 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 you stop opening presents and listen. Isn't that beautiful? I feel like Christmas Day. I feel like I notice I walk around the streets early in the morning. And it's just a, there's a lot of love in the air, for whatever reason. Love is when your puppy licks your face even after you've left him alone all day. <coughs> when, my man, when my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. 
So my grandfather does it for all the, all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. This is a funny one. Love is when a girl puts on perfume. Sometimes, you know, the discrimination isn't so clear when we're four. Love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and smell each other. <laughs> cute. And lastly, this is from a fourth grader, so a slightly different perspective. I'm not rushing into love, he says. I'm finding fourth grade hard enough. <laughs> so you see the difference from the, the four-year-old is <laughs> already conditioning and baggage and... So one of the distinctions about meta-practice that distinguishes it from our ordinary sense of love, which is usually quite limited to a few people, loved ones, family, pets, is that it does have a more boundless quality. It, it has um, an attitude that, is, that shines that kindness equally. It's, a, it's an attitude that wishes for nothing in return. So it's, it is a generosity of heart in that respect, that it really is given freely. And, and often the love that we've received is not so hasn't been so freely given, or the love that we've offered hasn't been, you know, usually has conditions. I will love you if you stay around. If you leave, I'm not going to be sure how much I'm going to love you anymore, right? You're familiar with that more romantic love where it, there is conditional. Well, my dry cleaners, you know, they had the, I love, I, we love our customers, big heart on the door. Well, how about if I go next door and s- to the other dry cleaners, how, how, how will they love me? Probably less. So there's a lovely poem by the poet Hafez that I like to read about this. He says, um, the sun never says to the earth, you owe me. The sun never says to the earth, you owe me. Look what happens to a love like that. It lights up the whole sky. Look what happens to a love like that. It lights up the whole sky. So there are you know, beautiful expressions. Nature's wonderful example of that, just effulgent expression of love, you know. The trees do not hide their leaves for anyone, that's just, there they are. Daffodils coming up in spring, just beauty, you know, freely given. So a friend of mine puts it this way, he says, um, I want everything, this is quality meta. I want everything for you and I want nothing from you. I want everything for you, I want your whole life to be whatever it can be, but nothing from you. So it's completely clean, unattached. So it has this boundless quality, but it also has this ordinary quality that's very, it's in the, minu- it's in the, in the minutiae, it's in the details, it's in the, the little con- contacts, the little hellos, the connections, the, the little moments of generosity, the taking care of somebody who's sick or calling a loved one, or just the ordinary ways that we can express that kindness, that gesture of connection, the gesture of warmth. So there's a story that Alan Wallace 
tells about uh, my, uh, uh, you're walking down the street with a bag of groceries and um, you bump into somebody and uh, all your groceries go all over the floor and you're about to turn around and bite their head off as we might and you turn around and you notice that the other person's groceries is on, all spilled everywhere and they're blind. And we, we shift from immediate from that judgment to, oh, how can I help you? Oh my goodness, are you okay? Yeah. So that can happen a lot to us, that you know, moving from reactivity to, oh, we suddenly see clearly and we open. Oh, what can I, how can I help? So when the heart is open in its natural state, there is connection. We don't feel separate. We don't feel isolated. We don't feel alone in a certain way, or lonely. We might feel alone, but in a way that's also connected. And the heart is, if anything, connection. There's a Burmese for, uh, simile for this, which is um, the, the analogy, analogy is um, two water drops. You see how water drops come together? And they're separate, they're separate, 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 and then they, they just become one. That's a great metaphor for, for metta. There was, I was teaching a metta retreat up the hill, and uh, this woman made a comment one day about how normally she always automatically uh, kills flies and bugs, whenever, especially if, they, if they're close or they're on her body, and, which is an instinctual thing that many people do. And she would notice when she was sitting in the hall, it was, a su- it was in summer, so there was a lot of bugs around, and that she felt so connected to life, even to bugs and ants and things that she normally would have, you know, just swatted, that she couldn't do that anymore. She, she just felt like, oh, this is life. I can't, how could I, how could I take this life away, for, even from this little thing? Right? That's, that's the expression of metta. We feel so connected that we care, we, we know. When, 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 I, when I tell people when we leave these wilderness retreats that they are, you know, and the hearts are, that it will be hard in the transition because we see what we do, you know, we'll see what we do to the planet. You know, we, we move from the pristine wilderness back into cities and, you know, urban sprawls and freeways, and, and it's, it's painful. You know, when you deeply connect with the land and deeply open in your love for the land, and then you see what we're doing, it, it hurts, it physically hurts. It's like, ow. And I can, I can, we can have that, that similar in many different situations when we really connect and we see someone, we watch something on the TV, or we hear about it, or we see it in the street, it's painful because our hearts so, are so open, so connected. I know many people who don't watch TV anymore because it's too painful to see, mostly because the news is about painful, negative things that human beings do, so it's just too aggravating to the heart. I also want to point to the, the, an aspect of metta which I think is really important, which is it's an attitude. It's an attitude of heart. It's an attitude means it's a way that we orient towards experience, a way we orient towards a moment, a person, a body, an experience, a work situation, politics, the environment, whatever it is, how we move towards it, 
how we are holding it. Um, because as I was exploring the meditation, our attitude, which is manifests as how we relate to things, is a key component of Buddhist teaching. That, that, that is a key point in whether we move through the world with ease or with peace or with suffering. How you relate when you're sitting in meditation like this morning, how you relate when you, know, you start feeling really tired or you start feeling some old injury or some welling of grief comes up from some recent loss. What's your attitude to that? How do you hold that? Is it like, oh no, oh no, not that. I'm, I want to just be peaceful here. You know, I want to be loving. I don't want to deal with my back pain. That's got nothing to do with love. <laughs> Get rid of that, and then I can be loving. <laughs> That's what we do. That's how we think. We comp- the mind, the mind comp- compartmentalizes. If I just get all that stuff out of the way, my neighbors would shut up, then I could be do my loving-kindness practice. <laughs> if that dog would stop barking down there, and I could just be peaceful. <laughs> right? But we do that all the time, right? It's, it's, it's just what the mind does. And, and we have to take a step back and go, oh, oh, and this. Oh, and I have to open to the barking dog <laughs> and the noisy neighbors and my back pain, and, 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 there's, n- and there's, no, there's no end to, oh, and this, and this, and this. That's the, that's the orientation in, in the path of met, the path of love is, oh, what about this? What about this? You know? And the times when we'll, we'll be hating this, and then, oh, okay, can I, can I be at least, can I have a kind attitude to the fact that I'm hating it? Oh, that's radical. Mm, don't know about that. <laughs> so that's the orientation. So I want to read a poem in that light um, from wonderful poet Marie Howe, um, who writes beautifully about meeting. Ah, the dark and difficult places in our lives and our families and our traumas. It's called What the Living Do. And she writes, she has a whole body of poems written to her brother, her younger brother who died of AIDS when he was 28. It's called What the Living Do. Johnny, the kitchen sink has been clogged for days. Some utensil probably fell down there. So she, I'm going to start. I'm going to say something. So she's speaking to the mess of our lives and how to hold it. Johnny, the kitchen sink has been clogged for days. Some utensil probably fell down there, and the drainer won't work, but smells dangerous. And the crusty dishes have piled up, waiting for the plumber I still haven't called. This is the everyday we spoke of. It's winter again, the sky's a deep headstrong blue, and the sunlight pours through the open living room windows, because the heat's on too high in here and I can't turn it off. For weeks now, driving or dropping a bag of groceries in the street, the bag breaking, I've been thinking, this is what the living do. 
and yesterday hurrying along the wobbly bricks in the Cambridge sidewalk, spilling my coffee down my wrist and sleeve, I thought it again and again later. What you called that yearning, what you finally gave up. We want the spring to come and the winter to pass. We want the spring to come and the winter to pass. We want whoever to call or not to call, a letter, a kiss. We want more and more and more of it. But there are moments walking when I catch a glimpse of myself in the window glass, say the window of the corner video store, and I'm gripped by a cherishing so deep from my own blowing hair, my chapped face and unbuttoned coat that I'm speechless. I am living. I remember you. There are moments walking when I catch a glimpse of myself in the window glass of the corner video store and I'm gripped by a cherishing, cherishing so deep from my own blowing hair, chapped face and unbuttoned coat that I'm speechless. So I love this poem because she's speaking to, you know, she's right in the mess of life, right? Who doesn't have crusty dishes piling up and something in your house that's not working that you should have called somebody six months ago to fix and da 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 da. You know, it's messy and it's cold and bags break and and then and then but she has an openness that she catches a reflection in the mirror in the window and there's oh, oh yeah, that too. Oh yeah, and all the crazy disheveledness that we are. Oh yeah. Oh and and I love you. And I love you. So, as I mentioned, there are many um, obstacles that we have in our life to uh, the heart naturally just residing with boundless love and compassion. Anybody here just reside with boundless love and compassion? Like, yeah, no, it comes and goes, like everything, and that's natural. This is from Rumi. He says, your task is not to seek for love. Your task is not to seek for love, but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it. To seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it. So that's partly what we do in this practice. The, the meta practice is regarded as a purification practice in that we practice it, and often what happens when we practice it is we encounter the obstacles. We encounter, we sit down, it's like, okay, instructions to wish kindness for yourself and others, and you sit there in like a lump of stone, frozen iceberg. You go to sleep. Uh, your mind spaces out, goes back to work. And like, oh, what's up with that? I was thinking about my best friend, and how come the love's just not flowing? We get to see some of the patterns that, that interfere with us just ordinarily feeling and expressing kindness, which we all have. So we'll explore those uh, as we go on today. And I just want to close this, this initial talk with um, 
uh, a quote about the potential for this practice. And maybe I'll start with something that's very ordinary, since that's where we are. So this is a poem by Mary Oliver. I like to share a lot of poetry when I teach because I think poetry often gets to the essence of what much of this practice is about without all the words. So um, it, it's called In Praise of a Certain... In Praise of a Certain... In Praise of... <laughs> in Praise of Craziness of a Certain Kind. On cold evenings, my grandmother, with ownership of only half her mind, the other half having flown back to Bohemia, spread newspapers over the porch floor. So, she said, the garden ants could crawl beneath as under a blanket and keep warm. And what shall I wish for for myself but being so struck by the lightning of years to be like her with what is left, that loving. To be struck by the lightning of years, to be left, with, to be like her with what is left, that loving. So something very simple but expresses something, you know, what we practice, we become. What we do, in some ways, is who we are. Or as a friend of mine put it this week, if you want to know what you're committed to, look at what you're doing. If you want to know what you're committed to, if you want to know what you're committed to, look at your life. If you want to know what what qualities you're committed to, Look at your life. If you're committed to loving, kindness, generosity, look at your life. Is that true? Or are you more committed to making money or building your career or, you know, the many, many things that might take our interests? Not that we can't do both, but it's an interesting reflection. So in the practice today, and just in terms of the nuts and bolts of the practice, we'll, we'll do some sitting meditation, we'll do some walking meditation, we might do some interactive exercises. Um, and I'll be guiding you through um, various stages and aspects of the loving-kindness practice. How many people are familiar with, with metta, with, with metta practice and metta instructions? Okay, so about half of you. So this will be a refresher for you. and. Uh, hopefully, I get it right, and you know, mm-hmm. won't confuse you. Um, and how many for you is new to Spirit Rock today? Okay, great, welcome. And how many uh, is this a first day of meditation retreat? A first, day, a first time where you've done a whole day of silence, where you're sitting in a retreat. Okay, great. So we can cut that. Thank you. So. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.